Welcome to episode 121 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of four of the greatest minds in podcasting ever. I'm Ryan, and with me today are three kingpins of podcasting. Noah, how are you, sir? Celebrating the release of LA, buddy. Yeah. And Zeb, how have you been? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you, Ryan. And yourself? I'm doing awesome. And Michael? I've been doing great. All right, Michael. So how has your week been this week? Uh, it's been a little bit hectic. I'm actually going to be doing some interesting things. Uh, I'm working on an Ubuntu Touch review a video. I'm finally. Finally, yeah. I was doing a 30 days of Ubuntu Touch. It's been like 65 now. So I'm getting to it. Uh, 65 days of Ubuntu Touch. Yeah. That's a new take on the. He tested it for 30 days. He's given it a rest yeah. for another 35 just to, you know. Yeah, I just yeah. Gotta, you got you to make sure you test every aspect of it. Otherwise, it's just, you know. Uh, but I'm also going to do some other stuff. Like I'm actually going to be distro hopping this week. Um, Whoa! Yeah. What? I, well, I'll still keep my my Ubuntu. Install. You're going to Arch, right? Uh, that will be one of the possibilities. Nice. So we'll Finally. see what happens. I I haven't really decided what I'm all going to do, but Arch is in there for sure. That would be amazing. Noah, how has your week been, sir? It's good. I've uh, been living all things RHEL, talking to people about RHEL, installing RHEL, playing with RHEL, living RHEL. I basically got RHEL tattooed, and that's all I eat now and sleep. I just Everything is RHEL. Where'd you get the RHEL tattoo? Uh, never mind. Don't I, answer that. I, I got it from RHEL, believe it or not. Red Hat actually gave me a tattoo. That's oh, one of the temporary true. ones? Shh. But yeah, I got a red hat tattoo, bro. That's not manly. Yeah. You got to get a real I, I have commitment at least until the end of the developer Actually, license. Actually, this brings up a good question we never asked in your interview. Do you have tattoos? I don't. I, it's one of those things where I, I'm not, I, like, I have nothing against them. I have nothing philosophically opposed. It's, just, it's one of those things that I really enjoy Control Z. Like, I love being able to. <laughs> I agree. And when it comes to tattoos, it's like it's like a it's there's no control Z. It's like that menu gets ghosted, and I just don't like the concept. Of I mean, it. if you put tux on your arm, you would look pretty awesome. I'm just I know, saying. but if I screw it up, there's no control Z. Yeah, like if I'm like oh. artist that makes it look like yeah. an apple instead of a penguin. And what if they what if they iterate the the logo at some point? Or what if like it? What if Linux goes down a dark path, and I no longer wish to? What if I want to be a BSD guy? I'd be screwed, you know. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. Well, we all we know, we just need to make everybody know that Noah is always keeping it real. <laughs> keeping it real. <laughs> well played, Michael. Well played. Zeb, what have you been up to, sir? Um, well, I've been continuing to do the um, Biddle Challenge, uh, the Distro Hopping Challenge. And this week, we were looking at the distro made by he who should not be named. Mm. Um, and what I find really interesting is that having looked at Lubuntu and Budgie and Zubuntu and now Mate, they all deal with the simple matter of wallpaper differently. And it's really frustrating. I know I've got this unique setup and I've got this um, upscaled 4K monitor that isn't really a 4K monitor, but none of them do it as well as Peppermint. I'll get different wallpapers on one screen and two of the same on the other. Zoom works differently to scaled. And it's really frustrating that just simply... Um, having a wallpaper come up correctly when I'm doing these challenges, it's like, yeah, that's feeling really good. And of course I've been testing the uh, release candidate one slash final of Peppermint 10. And of course my unbiased opinion is that it is very, very good. Very nice. So what you're saying, cause I see this in the forums a lot, Zeb is people are making the transition to Linux 
they have a high definition monitor. Usually it's 4K. I've, I've seen some people complain about 2K, but usually it's 4K. And they are basically trying to figure out how to get scaling to work properly. You're saying on Peppermint, they've got it all figured out. No, this is not, not scaling. This is just okay. a wallpaper. A wall, oh, just the wallpaper. Just, just is it how wallpaper. it shows on 4K or just the wallpaper changing itself? No, just I just want, when my monitors all start up and the distro loads, I want three wallpapers the same. Mm -hmm. but there, isn't, there isn't a single distro out there that I can find other than Peppermint that puts three images of the same type on your monitors correctly scaled. So like this is a 1440 and those are two 4K. Yeah, and I, I, know, I know it's horrible to say, but if you look at Lubuntu and you put Lubuntu on your screen, they've got this wonderful hummingbird, yeah, in all those vibrant colors. And for me, it's just like stretched across the three screens because they can't center it on one monitor. And it's just they've got this little script that then works out what your sizes are, and then it goes boom, boom, boom. It just seems to me that something so simple is really difficult to implement. But we'll continue the challenge. We've got um, Ubuntu Studio this week, and I think in Kubuntu next week. Wow. I've got a funny you're, feeling. You're just dropping a lot. Yeah, very good. Well, we will see how that goes, and maybe if somebody knows an answer to uh, a tool or something that Zeb could use in other distros, you could send in an email. And speaking of email, Michael, we got one this week that was really long, so we had to narrow it down a little bit. But what did we have this week in the mail? Oh, Larry starts off by telling us how he got frustrated with Microsoft support, which led him to finding Corel and Corel Linux. And he says that was his first introduction to Linux. And then later, Windows 10 got to the point where it wouldn't update on machines, and finally he installed Linux Mint 19.0. Uh, Larry goes on to talk about his adventures in distro hopping from Red Hat to Gentoo and everything in between. Uh, Larry gave us some insight into finding the, how he found the show. He says, uh, I finally checked on the website and found Destination Linux, Tux Digital, DosGeek, Noah, and Zeb, and also use AMD and NVIDIA. I've never had a problem with installing Linux on any of them. I've been using Firefox when it came, first came out after Net Netscape Navigator. Nice. Uh, me, me too. Firefox is the best. I joined the Mint forum after listening to, uh, for years about saying thank you for the software and uh, finally sunk in that he decided to do so, uh, which awesome. is awesome. Yeah. I ha he said, I had a small problem with Firefox and Linux, so I started trying other browsers. Uh, no. But, mm -mm. And he said, I tried Vivaldi and loved it. Vivaldi is pretty awesome. I will agree fair. that of all the other browsers, I would say Vivaldi is probably the closest one to be worthy of competitive to Firefox. Uh, he said, I heard Ryan's YouTube video on it, and I agree with him. Yeah. Uh, now I have to agree with Zeb that when when I, when I it used to work and now it doesn't work, that is definitely called a regression. Darn. <laughs> he said, I had, a, I had a stroke back in, 20, in 2012, which put me on an unexpected retirement. And when and if I can, uh, I will contribute to your shows. I think they are great, and I don't care for uh, and I don't care for shows that swear. So I appreciate your uh, your effort to, to make sure you don't do that and keep the show family friendly. He says keep the show keep up the good work, and as I've said, I've learned a great deal from your shows, uh, or like shows like yours and others. So uh, he says sorry for the length, but I've shortened it way down, and we shortened it even further. So <laughs> so sorry about that part. Uh, but yeah, thank you for uh, emailing us and let us know about how you found the show and and what, you, what the things you like about it and everything. Yeah, so I had never heard of Corel coming with a Corel for Linux. Were you aware? Was anybody yeah, else aware? Yeah, this was a long time ago. I think they stopped doing that like like a decade ago. Some... Is this Corel Draw, like the original Corel Draw 
tool. It's the company who makes who made that, but it wasn't for that. Like they didn't. They just kind of made their own, like di- various different stuff that was not relevant to each other. Like they had own different products, and Corel Linux was one of them. I just find it fascinating when individuals write in about their adventures into Linux, or even when we're interviewing, it seems most everybody started by getting a CD of Linux somewhere. Like this is the old AOL marketing, right? They'll send you enough CDs that eventually you'll go in and install it. But it did work because look how many people have said that their first journey into Linux was getting a CD out of a magazine, somebody giving them a CD at school or college or something, and then they take that and they install it. And I was looking through the bookstore the other day and they had a section for Linux magazines and attached to each of those very expensive <laughs> Linux magazines, like 16 to 18 bucks a piece, because they're all, I think, over in the UK, uh, was a CD with things like Fedora and different distros and things like that on it. So it's still a part of marketing, which I think is cool, but it, it's neat to see how many people fell in love with Linux from that or got, get exposed to it that way. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And also some of the, ma- uh, like a while back, uh, some of the magazines had a, not only did they have CDs for it, they even had a computer because uh, there was the Raspberry Pi Nano that was uh, attached to a couple of the magazines. I forgot which one did it, but it was oh, pretty cool. Oh, you're kidding. I would yeah. have bought that magazine for sure. Yeah, it was, <laughs> and it was like a $5 magazine, so you basically paid for the Nano and got a free magazine, or you paid for the magazine got a free Nano. That's yeah. amazing. I know, I know they're still around, but I think that's probably one part of this particular hobby that I miss, is going to our local store that had all the Linux magazines there and deciding which one you were going to pick. And then you actually sat away from the computer for a couple of hours while you physically read it. And then you got to the section of the article where it had a bit on the CD. So you come back to your computer, plug it in, and then try and work out uh, what they did. But now it's just all digitized. You're sitting here, you're taking all the information in. You find out about something, like you whack it on a USB stick, and you're just constantly in front of the computer. So being able to do that, um, back going back to those magazines, I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. I don't see the problem with being constantly in front of your computer, though. I don't understand that. I, I agree what, with what, that. What's the option outside of that? Like going outside? Gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think that's a totally reasonable response, Ryan. Totally. <laughs> so how can they get a hold of us, Deb? As illustrated by this particular email, we do want to hear from you there yeah, because it provides us with some interesting discussion points and it lets us know what our listeners are interested in and future stuff that we can do on other episodes. So send in your favorite Linux software or tip or trick. We'd love to know what tool makes your Linux experience amazing. Is there perhaps a specific Linux topic you'd like us to try and cover? Send your emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. Red Hat Enterprise Linux 8.0 was released. It is This is a massive milestone for the Red Hat uh, Corporation. This is the first RHEL release since the merger, or rather, I guess, buyout from IBM. So there's that. Uh, as usual, this is based on the work from Fedora 28 and will contain kernel 4.18, which is a big upgrade from the heavily patched 3.10 version. This version also comes with GNOME 3.28 and System D. Some other changes and improvements include firewall interface added to the web console, better IDM integration for the web console on Red Hat Enterprise 8 that will be using DNF technology, which will be symlinked to YUM, so YUM no longer comes included. Installer supports Lux2 for disk encryption. Anaconda added support for system purpose designation in RHEL 8. You can enable installation from a repository from a local hard drive, or you can specify the directory instead of needing the ISO image. A bunch of stuff. I think the most exciting thing for me about RHEL is modularity and app streams. And so essentially, if you're not familiar with it, essentially what 
it allows you to do is it has an immutable file system. And so you essentially have the, 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 the bare bones necessary to run the system. And that stays constant. Now, the rel release is going to be supported for 10 years out of the box. And oftentimes, they actually exceed that 10-year lifespan for various different reasons. And they, that involves backporting updates and security patches and, and so on and so forth. Now, the nice thing is, or the problem has been in the past, with this immutable file system and the inability to have up-to-date libraries and up-to-date software applications mean that RHEL just kind of was this rock that worked 100% of the time very, very well, but if a new feature came out, you simply couldn't have it. And that was very frustrating to not only the folks that work on RHEL, but a lot of people that use it into production. And so what RHEL is trying to do and I think this is a really brilliant move. They're going to keep the base part stable and secure and everything that you've come to expect from RHEL. And you can choose which app stream you want to be on. So imagine a nice solid riverbed. And then on top of the riverbed, you can have three different streams and one moves super, super fast and, and has essentially the latest software available. You know, maybe another one is a little bit slower and then one is the snail's pace, what we're all used to. And that modularity and that ability to decide what libraries want to run, what software you want to run is going to give users and and administrators a lot more choice and a lot more flexibility. They're also focusing on the ARM infrastructure. And so they're going to target Rock 64 and they're uh, essentially looking out and saying there are a bunch of servers that are designed to be mounted on a wall or designed to be mounted uh, behind something or in something. And we want those boxes to run Red Hat Enterprise Linux as well. One of the changes that they made, I believe it was with RHEL 6 or RHEL 7, is they're now allowing a free license if you want to sign up for a free developer account, developer.redhat.com, and then you can get an actual Red Hat license that has access to the knowledge base, has access to the oh, wow. uh, ISO and all the updates. Yeah, they're giving it away for free, which is really great. Um, they're, uh, the interesting decision, they chose not to ship Docker. And instead, they're shipping with Buildus, uh, Scopio, and Podman. And I had a chance to catch up with uh, Scott, uh, uh, Scott McCarty from Red Hat, and I had a chance to talk to him and I said, what was with that decision? And he said, essentially, Red Hat monitors what's happening upstream. And what they've seen is that the future is not necessarily Docker per se. It's still going to be OCI compliant. But they think that this individual broke, breakout of individual technologies is going to allow for a better end result for the end user. And so they've made the decision not to ship with Docker. And I thought that was pretty interesting on the, on the, um, on the open shift side, they're going to shift with uh, something called Cryo, which is essentially a lightweight container runtime environment uh, used for running containers. Now, I, one of the things that I was talking with Red Hat about, and I said, explain to me what you guys are thinking and, and where the logic is here. And what they, what they said was, for the last 10 years, we have watched a slow migration from physical computers into the virtual space. <clears throat> and everything has been virtualized and turning into VMs. Today, what we're seeing is actually the opposite. People are coming back off of VMs and actually going back to bare metal. And I said, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Why? I mean, nobody with any sense, I mean, virtualize all things, right? And he said, no, because you can get rid of complexity and you can get rid of overhead by running it on metal and we can achieve the same process isolation, the same security advantages by using containerization technology. And so because of things like Kubernetes and because of things like Build and Scopio and Podman, we're actually going to take things off of a virtual infrastructure and go back to physical metal. And so watching the industry kind of retool themselves going from a bare metal instance over to a virtual instance now back to bare metal is going to be really interesting. And then yeah, that cockpit or the what they're calling the web control panel, absolutely Awesome. As secure as SSH, but allows you to get a, you essentially can administrate the, the system from your phone. 
Mm-hmm. And so the idea is to lower the barrier of entry to system administrators. If you're coming over from the Windows side, it's going to be a little bit easier for you to get started because essentially you just fire up this web interface and it, it, it shuts down when it's not in use and fires up only when called. And then activates the web interface, you log in, you do what you're going to do, you shut it back down. And the web interface turns itself back off after being inactive for a little while. So really, mm. really, really cool stuff from Red Hat. I fully expect this to be a very positive and uh, very successful release of Rel 8. You know, mm-hmm. I expected when I put this article in there that Noah was going to get, you know, was going to be happy to cover this. I never expected him to be that happy. <laughs> you love yourself <laughs> Rel, my friend. I, yeah. Listen, I, there are a few things in this world that I like, but Red Hat is probably my favorite company on the face of the planet. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can tell. Also, I noticed that you have, is this going to be on Ask Noah or on the Mind Drip Media page where you've sat down with Red Hat and have an interview with them if people are interested in watching that? Yeah, we did. We had a chance to catch up with a number. You know, anytime I set foot inside of, uh, in side of Red Hat, they always hook me up. Like they're very, very, they, they've, they've told us a couple of times, hey, you know, we really appreciate what you do. We appreciate the fact that all the stuff you make is open source and, and licensed and stuff. And so they find out we're going to be at a place. They just line us up with, with really great people to talk to. So I got to talk with the, uh, with the VP of RHEL, uh, uh, the whole kit and caboodle, and actually got to sit down with her and say, tell me what's going on. And so we, uh, we had a chance to catch up with her. Scott McCary is going to, uh, uh, um, McCarty, excuse me, is going to be with us uh, this Tuesday to talk about some of the things I touched on, except he's going to say it with more authority because he actually works there and does this stuff. I just kind of, <laughs> you know, rinse, wash, and repeat, right? Well, yeah. let me ask you a question too. So, uh, well, first of all, what channel is that interview going to be on? Is it going to be on Ask Noah or yep. Mindrip Media? Okay. Yeah, no, that'll be, on, that'll be on Ask Noah. So it'll be Tuesday Perfect. at 6 p.m. Central. He'll join us. Awesome. And so my question to you is, let's talk about someone like, you know, your average user. Is there any reason why they would go and get Red Hat license, which you said you can get for free, but if you wanted to purchase one, it's $49 for single user license, no support, over just using Fedora or CentOS. Is there any you know, compelling reason that they would do it other than to say, hey, I wanna learn what it's gonna be like to be an administrator? I mean, no, because you, from that exact, the way you phrase that exact question, the answer would be no, because CentOS is binary compatible with, with RHEL, right? So anything you could learn on Red Hat to become a system administrator, you could do that on CentOS. Uh, so that's not, the, that would, that alone would not be a reason for the Red Hat subscription. Where the Red Hat subscription comes in, I think is twofold. First of all, what Red Hat is seeing is they're watching the cloud takeoff on Ubuntu. And I think they look over and go, we should probably be there too. Now, Red Hat makes many, 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 many times the amount of money that Canonical makes because RHEL actually sells a lot of server subscriptions. That's the primary purpose of of Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and that's why they make so much money. Um, But then when you look over, somebody wants to just run a free instance, typically they're going over to Ubuntu. Now, that's kind of started to change a little bit with CentOS becoming prolific and actually purchased by Red Hat, owned by Red Hat. You know, that person actually has a Red Hat email and works at that company and all of those kinds of things. But it still doesn't have that really blessed approval of this is actually RHEL. But the bigger, so that's, I think, part of it is that they just want to get people who want to spin up a free instance. They want to get those people actually on Red Hat. The bigger thing, though, to me, because even that isn't going to work because you don't have the ISO available on most of the VPS providers. But I think the big reason, the big reason I think they're doing this is because if you go into a university and you want them to try out a system, previously what that process looked like was you roll out Scientific Linux or you roll out CentOS, you install it, you get everything up and running, you play with it for a little bit, and then what you find is, oh, 
oops, now we want to go to a supported distro. Guess we get to wipe that machine clean and do a fresh install. With right. this with this model, you sign up for a developer account, you get all the updates, you get access to the knowledge base, you get everything you'd get if you actually paid for Red Hat sans the actual support. And then when you want to layer support on that, you just go online, takes 45 seconds. For If it's a university, it's, you know, they barely a couple bucks, but it, just a normal person, I think it starts at like 800 or $300. And you you buy the the, the desktop support thing and, and you're good to go. And then you just enter those new credentials and now all of a sudden you have a blessed Red Hat system that comes with support. So I think that's what it is. It's to make migration to a supported infrastructure a lot easier. But I also think they want to see Red Hat become the dominant server in the industry and they're not far off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in this industry, the learning on your own is, well, some of the best people I've ever hired to work on servers or even programmers are those who sat in their basement, if you will, or their bedroom and learn this stuff on their own. So the fact that somebody could go out there, get this license, not have to pay a fee, learn it on their own, then get into the industry is the perfect way to really attract some of the best talent out there, uh, I think. So I think that's a great mm-hmm. idea. So from a from a, a general ordinary user point of view, is there anything in this release of, of Red Hat that will make its way eventually into Fedora and will add some really nice features to it? No, because Fedora always precedes Red Hat in development cycle, right? So anything that like, so for example, the web console, right? It's a revolutionary new way to administrate a server, really does not have anything like it on any other distro. Um, essentially is all the power of everything you could do for what you would SSH into, but now it comes in a nice graphical web interface. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. That cockpit functionality has been in Red Hat for two, three years now, and we're just now seeing it come into RHEL. So, no, there's nothing, I, I don't think you're going to see that. What you get with Red Hat, though, Zeb, is all of the function, all of the cool toys with Red, the Fedora that mm-hmm. worked out really well. And then they get baked, and you can be 110% sure that they're going to work flawlessly 100% of the time. Okay, so moving on, um, I'm back to the uh, Linux mobile operating system arena. Selfish OS have released HOSA. Um, it's the latest version, and it's the name is based after the Hosa National Park um, in Finland. And it's been released this week, and most of the changes in this release are under-the-hood improvements to the OS. So specifically, they have made updates to uh, glibc, gcc, and the browser engine, which is updated with a new version of Gecko. Um, additional features include security vulnerability fixes, stability improvements, and better compatibility. Finally, they have improved the experience for the Selfish X device and the XA2 by fixing sensor behavior, power management, and NFC support. Um, And one of the unique features of Selfish is the compatibility with, uh, well, is the compatibility that it has with Android apps while still being an independent OS from Android. Um, Unfortunately, it's not available in the US as of yet, um, and perhaps the most well-known device the distro is made for would be the Sony Xperia. Now, this selfish seems to have been round for an awful long time, and we and we do, we get updates about it, but it just doesn't seem to get the kudos that it deserves because we're talking about all these new Linux phones coming along, and we're going to be getting all this wonderful stuff. And here's something that's been there for absolutely donkey's years. So you guys that play with this and you guys that take your old phones and put all these software on, what is it you think that why Selfish hasn't got there to number one position yet? 
for for me, I think it's because of the lack of supported devices that are out there for it. And we're going to have another article that's going to talk about some things related to the mobile industry. Obviously, this is very close to my heart because I've practically grown up in the mobile industry uh, as my career. But, you know, it frustrates me to see products like this that I think have a fantastic ability to uh, make a dent in the market. They're never going to overtake, but they could certainly make a dent in the market specifically because one of the the person who can win or or who could come in and actually be competition for a Google or an Apple is going to have to have access to apps, right? That's the big differentiator between any of these things we talk about and the reality of them actually being a true competitor is the apps. If you remember during the initial race of phones between Apple and Android, they used to throw out numbers in their marketing of how many apps they had. That was the big thing, right? Well, I've got 500,000 apps. I have 600,000 apps. And every news article would be covering who has the most apps this week. Well, now as a, an up-and-coming company, how are you going to start out and get developers to create those 600,000 million now app plus apps on your device? Well, you're not. So something like Sailfish to me is very interesting because while it is not a Android-based operating system, they still have created a compatibility layer that works with Android. So now they don't have to go create 1 million different apps out there. They could simply run them, say, and I don't know how they're specifically doing it, but to me, it'd be intriguing to see somebody run them kind of like a Firefox containerized situation where now you're added layering and additional security and privacy, but you're still able to utilize some of those apps. Now, that may be something that's actually interesting, but when you basically, and, and they may not be going after the U.S. market at all, so it may be a mute issue, but I do see Sailfish come up quite a bit in the videos anytime I talk about phones and people say, have you checked out Sailfish? Well, not being available in the U.S. and the very limited amount of devices that it has makes that nearly impossible. But if this is what they say it is, and some of the things that they're adding are pretty advanced, you know, features you would expect from a phone today, like NFC support, um, you know, improvements to the sensors, all of that type of stuff, they could have something here. It's just, I feel like Linux is going to do it again, where they're going to, everyone's going to go run off and create their own mobile operating system, bake it just enough to kind of barely be workable and we're just going to have 500 versions of a mobile operating system, none of which actually would be any real competition to the mobile market. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Is, is mm. Are we going back to can last I, week where we're going to be negative? Because that's how I can, I can I play devil's advocate with you for a second? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Android, for example, has, uh, I think, two, uh, somewhere north of 2 million apps. And then iPhone has less or, or just south of 2 million apps or maybe they just touched 2 million. Anyway, Android has more is really what I was getting at. And uh, but you don't ever hear anybody that has an iPhone say, well, you know, the problem is I don't have as many apps as Android has. And so I kind of feel like I have a handicapped device. Right. And the reason is because they have enough apps. Right. Like you don't have to have an app for everything under the sun. If you get navigation, if you get Twitter, if you get a Facebook client, if you get, you know, the, there, there are some big ones that like everybody has on their phone. And then there's other ones that, that we just go, well, it's just nicer to open the app than it is to visit the mobile web browser. So I think you can get, I don't think you necessarily have to have 2.1 million apps to be successful. I think you need about 75 available apps. And then as long as you get the big ones, you're fine. I think the way to get there though, is to partner with a hardware provider and sell actual hardware yes. and get those into stores like Best Buy and have somebody purchase them and then reach out. I say that because there's a online TV network that I have recently started really becoming interested in and they didn't have a app for Android TV. 
went on their Facebook page and I just said, hey, you guys might want to consider making an app for Android TV. I know you have one for regular Android. It'd probably be pretty simple to port to Android TV, but then I could watch it on my, on my NVIDIA Shield. And lo and behold, three weeks later, there was an app for, for, for Android. And the only reason that happened was because I had that piece of hardware and reached out to the company and I'm guessing other people did too. So I feel like if you want to get, if you want to get Facebook's attention to make an app of Facebook for Selfish OS, the way to do that is to get the device or the operating system into the hands of a bunch of users and then have them go to Facebook and say, Oi, I want an app for, for my, for my platform. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that's an interesting way of tackling it. Regards the hardware, the, the nobody well Pine will be one, and in, in, in Librem, obviously are are trying to create their own hardware. But I think you're not going to get the attention of because while you're right, you may not need a million apps. You probably do need, you know, when you talk about banking and credit cards and everything else people do on your phone. It, it's while you may get away with having maybe a hundred apps, uh, core apps like navigation, cameras, you know, different things like that. People are going to start looking at their device that they just spent $700 on feeling like, man, I'm, I'm missing out on some stuff my friends are able to do or a new game drops or anything else. That's why I think even in that case, you would want to create a compatibility layer to allow to either, it's not going to work with Apple, obviously, because the closed garden thing, but allow it to run Android apps or maybe integrate it with F-Droid where they are creating, you know, uh, community-based applications over there. Uh, so I think Sailfish has an interesting idea, but I think you're right. I think the hardware piece is what they're missing because nobody's going to stop and write a application, a big a company. It's not going to stop and write an application for hardware that doesn't exist on an operating system they never heard of being created by a group of five people. It's just not going to, it's just not going to turn into anything. But this is something very passionate to me because I feel like the phone market is absolutely monopolized by two terrible options at the end of the day and people don't have choices and unfortunately, you know, some of the choices that we do have out there are in generally half-baked, meaning they're great, talented people, but they're all doing this thing again where they're all going to go off and create their own thing versus maybe all of them come together and say, hey, let's focus on creating one app store that all five of our operating systems we're developing independently will we'll pull from or something along those lines. Bringing it together is the only way you're going to be able to effectively compete, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. There's the, the thing about like the... Like certain systems are going to be working on uh, the integration with Android apps because they're they're uh, Selfish made their own uh, particular uh, integration, but there is a project called Anbox, which is the mm -hmm. whole purpose is to run Android apps on a Linux system, and Ubuntu Touch has integrated Anbox, so anything that would be trying to get the support for Android apps. Uh, through Anbox would be able to benefit from the whatever a, mo a mobile operating system is being you know, using that particular project. So there is some collaboration in that that field of Android apps being on these different systems. So that's really great. Um, but they're, they're still you know a little ways off from being like a practical daily driver. Uh, I have you tried out Anbox on Ubuntu Touch and it works surprisingly well. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work at all because there are some weird times <laughs> like the. It's very much alpha experimental, so like sometimes the daemon's not running and it won't load the app. But once you like you know clean out that stuff and make sure the process is going, it works fine. So it, it's still not there, but the the fact that it's it, they're using a project that is a you know a, an independent project that's creating that support, there's a lot of potential there. And I think the the point that you made about having a singular app store would be the best option if they could somehow. I don't know how they would do this because like they'd have to have a, a, an API that all the apps work together. 
Um, but it would be great if they were to do that because having different OSs that you know use the same packaging system or use the same application structure that then you could have you know you could create whatever you want uh, that, that still have access to all the applications and consolidate the the most important piece of any mobile operating system is the apps. So like if they could do that, I think that would be like a massive game changer to what the the platforms could be. Yeah, absolutely. And it would entice the developers if you're creating one app store that the five or six or 20 by the time we're done mobile OSs out there uh, have access to that they're all utilizing. I think you'd probably entice a lot more people to write software for it. So it, it seems that Microsoft has been enticed to write software for Linux and in a variety of different ways, but they also decided to take some of the stuff that they already have for the desktop Linux and create an online version. So specifically, Microsoft has created a Visual Studio Code online edition. And uh, this is an interesting approach because it takes the, the existing code editor from the desktop and makes it possible to be used in a web app approach. Um, kind of makes sense because I'm pretty sure the desktop app is built on Electron, so it should be the technology should be very similar. So the the transition is interesting, but they also say that they're going to have all the extensions available for the desktop editor available in the web version. So um, I mean that kind of makes sense as well because of the whole Electron thing. But this is pretty cool because it has the uh, support for the the Visual Studio Code workspaces, uh, mm-hmm. which that's that's a pretty cool thing. Uh, and also the quick edit uh, review poll and like all the stuff that they have with like Git, um, that that kind of stuff is pretty cool. I, listen, uh, I've been seeing everybody talk about Visual Studio Code. Even some of the developers for certain distros were using it. And uh, I, I saw this news hit. I was watching Twitter feed, people talking about how much they love Visual Studio Code. So I went and downloaded it again, started playing with it. It has a Vim mode where basically you can put, you know, you could utilize all the Vim shortcuts and capabilities. It has tons of extensions. It has HTML, it has markdown extensions, any programming language you can think of. And basically it will, you know, it it can support those and you can switch in between different workspaces depending on what you're writing in. This is such a good tool. Now I know everybody on here loves Sublime Text, but I have to ask, is Sublime Text a dying model? Because when you compare it against, hear me out, when you compare it against brackets in Visual Studio Code and you still have to pay, by the way, a stupid price, for sublime text, which nobody pays because they just keep skipping the registration thing. When you have something like this that you can get for free that now also has an online companion where you never even have to download the software. You don't not have to, but in, in a situation where you're mobile, you could just go on a browser and continuing your coding or do live shares and that type of thing. Where does sublime text actually offer any benefit? And by the way, before you say anything as well, there is a sublime text mode to make all your interface look just like sublime text within visual studio as well. Now you can go. If I had a microphone, I would, I would totally take it. And I would say native app. <laughs> it, it it's is an actual a, native app. I mean, it's an, that, that's really what it is. I mean, it's but not that's electron- the only advantage it has. Well, well no, no, it also is the inventor of most of the things that are good about visual studio code. And also the most right. things that are good about Adam, they create new features all the time. And, and they're the ones who actually, yeah, they're the ones who innovate stuff. Uh, multiple cursors didn't exist until they did it. Uh, like there's the, the structure of how they do the, the palette, like the layout palette that's all the tools are available with one shortcut. Like that was not available in any of these other editors until they started being, they started copying stuff that came from Sublime. So as far as like 
what's the benefit of Sublime is one, it's native, sure. It's, it runs so much faster, and it's uh, it also is a lot lighter for resources. But it also is the the project that actually innovates stuff, whereas all these things are doing is just copying Sublime in most cases. Like Adam is literally a clone of Sublime. Like even the the shortcut by defaults, like all of those. I mean, you may have had the first electric car, but I'm still going to buy a Tesla if I get a chance. You know what I mean? It's it's well, I mean, there's really nothing in visual studio code has. That's, it, but yeah, yeah, that's like saying here's the thing. That's like saying you're you're talking. That's like saying. Tesla built the first electric car, but now Chevy made the Volt. So why would anybody still use the Tesla? Like it, it's such a different class of software yeah. to me. And, and here's the other thing to consider. If you, Sublime Text, the vast majority of people that are using Sublime Text are Linux users, right? By far, probably. Yeah. Uh, because the people that are developing software in Windows are not probably using Sublime Text. Uh, and so where do you think the where do you think the onus is on Microsoft as far as priorities go? Their priorities is to make really cool terminal commercials on Windows, not so much to necessarily ensure a flawless experience on Linux. I think the only reason that they're porting to Linux is to try to get some people to come over to Windows actually in a kind of a backhanded way. Wow, that's an interesting thought process there. I just think, you know, my biggest problem, I, I love Sublime Text and uh, I that's what I've been using you know, up to this point, and I don't know that I'm switching to Visual Studio Code. I was just playing with it this weekend, and I was impressed. I was blown away impressed, and I see why a lot of people are moving to it. With that same token, one of the things that is annoying to me is you've got a situation where Microsoft is giving you this tool for free, right? There's no registration. There's no proprietary codes you have to go figure out, which is shocking for Microsoft, but indeed, this is uh, pigs can fly. And, uh, you know, this is what we have. So Sublime Text, I have to deal with every third, fourth time I open it. It wants to pay. Now, I don't mind paying for software. You know I'll spend good money for software, but I don't program enough to make me want to pay whatever Sublime's fee is, was $199 or something for a license for it. And, and probably most people don't either. They just keep hitting that cancel button because it never actually expires. I, I just think their model at this point is a dead model. They really, what, what Sublime needs to do, in my opinion, to survive is come out with something different. Either create a cloud situation where if people pay a certain amount of money a month, maybe they'll store some or store their code or something securely. Offer other services other than trying to get people to buy registration because I can't imagine they're raking in the money at this point with these options out there and their current model. I, mean, I don't know about raking in the money, but I know that, I mean, the the really the biggest issue with the uh, sublime and is the, the, the amount of money, like the, the registration fee. Of, of course, it is just something you can ignore, and as long as you are not bothered by the pop-up, or you know, do things to b bypass it. But like, even if you don't, if you're not bothered by the pop-up, it doesn't matter. You could just use Sublime without any limitations forever. So it's not like th their model is not the restrictive model of the past, where you aren't able to use it. You're able to use it for two weeks, and then that's it. Like they're not doing that. So. I think that it, it's more reasonable the way they're doing it, but at the same time, Sublime is the most popular editor, uh, because as far as like um, because it's it's a heavy uh, usage on Mac as well. Um, there's probably Adam and, and VS Code is probably taking some stuff there. Brackets from Adobe, yeah. which is free as well. Most people, but it's all just the same editor. It, brackets and Adobe, I mean Brackets and Visual Studio Code are just forks of Adam. So like it's just all the same thing. And except for like none of them do anything that's in like creative or inventive. It's just we're just making our own branded editor. 
And the only thing that's that's different in uh, that you can do in Atom and the and the derivatives uh, that you can't do in Sublime is to have that web rendering uh, automatic live preview of stuff that you're doing, mm-hmm. and that's only because the entire e- editor is a web thing. It's like I think if you guys switch to if you did a week challenge where you download Visual Studio Code and used it in place of Sublime, you would do the same thing I did when I started playing, or with Visual Studio Code, you'd do the same thing I did, which is I started playing with it and I went, dang it. Okay. I, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'm not going to use it for notes. I'll use it for all my software development, though, for a week, and we'll see where we're at. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to see where you yeah. come back with, but okay. no no preconceived bias, Noah. Just go in there and use it. It's, Ryan, it's I promise you there will be no preconceived bias. I will simply use Visual Studio Code for all of my software development this week. You don't software develop anything, do you? No, I don't. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, got him. You jerk. <laughs> <laughs> but if I do, I promise to use Visual Studio. <laughs> All right. So next up in the news is something that made me very, very sad to read because Tilex, which is my favorite terminal emulator out there for Linux, developer wants somebody to come and take this over. He does not want to continue writing this tool anymore. Um, on Tilex GitHub, he stated, as many have probably noticed, activity on Tilex has dwindled over the last year or so. From my perspective, it does everything I need in a terminal emulator. Well, more actually. And I have little interest in adding features or even fixing bugs and features I don't use. I also want to spend more time on things more closely related to my day job. And unfortunately, that's not terminal emulators. GUIs, D, or GNOME. As a result, I think some new blood with respect to Tilex would be beneficial. If you're interested in taking over the project, let me know. Ideally, it would be someone who is already involved, but we can work out on a process for someone new. So Tilex is written in the Dlang programming language, and I'm hoping somebody out there has the skill set to go take this project over so I can keep using it. And you'll go on my favorites list. There's really no benefit to being on my favorites list, but you'll be on it, and that's what's important. Uh, because I absolutely love Tilex. It's the, the one of the first things I download when I'm doing a new system is Tilex. I, I love the way... I know other other emulators can tile and things, but I just love the way Tilex does it the best. And um, But I totally get the idea that the maintainer's burnt out. He's worked on this for years. He's ready to do something new. It makes sense. I'm hoping someone out there will pick it up. Google held their 2019 I.O. event this week and unveiled some new devices to enhance your tech and improve your life. Perhaps the most interesting thing that they released was the Google 3A and Google 3A XL. Now, these devices are priced at $399, include a nice suite of advanced camera features, which are derived from more expensive pixel lines, and they have a courage jack. So yeah. Google is kind of bucking the trend and saying, screw you, Apple, screw you, Samsung, screw you. I think LG still has it on some of the Samsung devices. Samsung still has it on a, a few devices. Not the 10, though. The 10, right? the S10e has it. Oh, look at that. Well, Google is started that trend, even uh, even if Samsung came out first. <clears throat> Google started <laughs> the trend and, uh, and released and rebranded the Google Home device, which will now be under the Nest umbrella, which makes a lot of sense. I mean, they, you know. They kind of got into home. This is this is typical Google, right? They get into something, then they decide they're going to yep. kind of let it drift. And then they decide, well, there's some money in it. Let's go back to it. And then let's drift. And then all of a sudden, look, we've got products all over 15 different brands. Let's kind of consolidate. So that's what they're doing. They're pulling all their automation stuff under the Nest brand, which makes a lot of sense. Smart devel- uh, They have a the Nest Hub, which is a security camera, smart display, and loudspeaker all in one single device. The big addition here is the inclusion of the seeing eye or camera 
<laughs> the good news is they did include a physical switch to turn off the camera and mic. Yeah, I totally that was nice. that. I mean, yeah, I, I yeah, you're, okay. Continue on. You're right. I, I I thought it was a good gesture on Google's part, but you're oh, right. Yeah. Can you really trust it shutting it off? Oh yeah, no, no. I'm sure that totally shuts it off. I don't know why we're <laughs> even discussing it. It's completely <laughs> private. Totally, I would completely trust it. Yeah. Perhaps one of the coolest features they unveiled is the live caption technology, which will add subtitles to any video even live video feeds. And finally, a move that they've needed for years. They're releasing software updates directly through the Play Store versus waiting on the phone manufacturers plugging a major security hole for Android architecture. Fine. Again, I totally believe that. That's totally what's going to happen. And so now Android will completely be patched and secure. That's com that's that's what's going to happen. <laughs> yep, confirmed right here. Yeah. So I, Source. I, I looked at this whole thing, Noah, and, and it's funny. If anybody looked at the document uh, ahead of through the week, I had a bunch of jokes about... Google and their crappy privacy policies and everything, but I eventually removed them because uh, I looked at a lot of what they were saying. I watched the entire IO event because as much as I have a distaste for Google products, you know, I, they do do some great things sometimes out there, some amazing technology they've added to the biggest hiccups I have with them is their lack of privacy nearly entirely and their security being complete trash on Android but the, uh, what they came out and focused on similar to, and it kind of felt a little bit like Facebook, who came out on stage recently and said, hey, we're really going to start caring about privacy. And everyone kind of laughed and made a bunch yeah. of memes out of it. And Google did the same thing in their I.O. event. They come out and basically said, hey, we're going to focus a lot more on privacy and security improvements. We're going to give you the ability to basically have more control over this. And the idea that at least they're putting physical toggle switches and things on their devices, whether you trust it or not, is a good move, I think, on their part to at least try to instill that. One of the biggest problems with Android out there is they're unpatched the amount, the sheer amount of phones that are sitting on four, five, six-year-old versions of an OS is mm -hmm. astonishing. And you know, even talking to Bo, what's the first thing Bo tells you about security? Patch your system on Android. Good luck because the manufacturer controls if you're going to actually get that patch or not, making Android a complete pile of garbage as it's always been. So now they're actually saying, hey, we're going to release this software through the actual software store. And now regardless if Samsung wants you to have that latest patch, you're going to be able to go out there and get that. If they actually do that, they'll plug one of the biggest holes in Android security that's been out there. Can I, can I just point out, let's just say that all this is true, and I don't buy it for a second. Even if the, first of all, I don't even believe it's technically possible because part of the problem is that they're, unlike the iPhone infrastructure, and this is both a good thing and a bad thing, I might add. Unlike the iPhone infrastructure, you don't have one model phone with one sure. model specification. There's everything from a 30, I saw a phone at Best Buy, no joke, $14.99. You buy an unlocked GSM phone for 15 bucks. Now, what kind of processor do you think that thing has in it? What kind of RAM do you think that thing has in it? Heck, how much, what did they have? All of a gigabyte of storage? I mean, it's like Michael level storage on this phone, right? So. Wow. You're, so you've got that on one end, and then you've got the Samsung S10 and the Pixel 3a and all those things on the other end of the spectrum, right? Yeah. So there's no possible way you're going to write one piece of software and have it work on both those systems, all right? Either you're going to leave some holes available on the 10, or you're going to and cater to the lowest common denominator, or that old phone is going to fall apart when it tries to run this new software. I don't even think the problem they're trying to solve is possible, but even if you take that them at their word, isn't it kind of like... 
lighting a bonfire in your living room and then being concerned that the coffee pot might tip over and start on fire. Like, (laughs) I mean, literally you have a thing with an open microphone. They mine all of your data and we're worried about a couple patches coming down. Like the, what's the attack vector for that? (laughs) It's an interesting problem that you bring up, Noah, because I thought of the same thing with regards to how are you going to keep the myriads of devices out there patched? And I believe if they're doing this uh, properly, there, there was some information about there being a cutoff date of when this starts. So if you're still on an older device, you're not going to have that option. I, I think it was something like phones of 2018 Ford will have this option available to them, something along those lines, which yeah. means that essentially Apple or Apple, Google's going to be taking control of who's manufacturing their devices and creating the thing that everybody hates about Apple, a little more walled Gordon and a little more control over what devices get out there that get thrown Android on. But I believe even with that, there's no possible way to stop people from just taking Android and throwing it on device, some random device you make. And then they're going to go download the Play Store uh, software update and then it's going to crash their phone entirely and it's not going to work and people are going to be mad, but Google's not going to be necessarily to blame for that. I hope they do it, but I see the same, I see exactly what you're saying that this will be a problem. I'll tell you another thing. They are inventing a problem that never existed, right? So for example, look at the way that firmware updates are handled on hardware systems that are running Linux today, right? Dell doesn't have to worry about updating their firmware per se. They just submit the firmware to the package manager and the package manager with FW updates shoves it down to the actual computer, right? There is absolutely no conceivable reason on the face of the planet why we can't have an updater as part of the Android operating system. It could be hosted on a, you know, a GitHub and all the code could be open and all of those kinds of things. And the community will handle dealing with all of the patches and stuff. And then Google can layer all their crap on top of it. There's no reason you couldn't work that model. The fact that Google wants to be in control of these updates or that it has to be a walled garden to be secure, I find to be kind of idiotic and insane, right? We don't ha- rel does not have a walled garden for updates. They just, they, it comes from upstream. It goes down to the system. The only thing is obviously they pick the updates that are applicable to that system. So I guess we want to call that a walled garden, but even that's, all open source, right? CentOS, Ubuntu, all are doing the exact same thing. So I, I think this idea that we either have to be in a walled garden or we have to live without security, other, lest we can't run on a, ver- a myriad of devices, that's a false notion. I think we absolutely can. I think it just relies on trusting in the open source model rather than go at it alone. Well, yeah, but also Google wants you to trust them. That's all they care about. Like, yeah, the whole, no, they want to stay in control, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the, the fact that they're using the Play Store to do it automatically means that they're not they're yeah. caring about the the data yes. they're caring about the 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 facade of being of looking private rather yep. than actually doing it yeah well how many people have they fooled into believing android is a secure device how many people if you go down and say is android security better than iphone that are in linux by the way who are educated people will say yes android's more secure i get it all the time on my videos no no you're wrong android's more secure i'm like are you you've got to be joking right it doesn't take a genius to figure out why Android is a complete disaster in both privacy and security. I mean, it's it's been that way, but people are used to it. They deal with it and they just hate Apple more and they're willing to forego their values and privacy and security to be able to say, I, I run a Google device. I mean, I guess here's the, here's part of it though, too. And this is coming as somebody who's made that decision, right? It's not that, it's not that I'm like, well, I just don't care if there's security holes. It's that I think sometimes we overblow the actual attack vector. Are there security holes in a phone? Absolutely. Are you going to target those over the internet without, I mean, it goes back to being just, a, a you know, like I can use windows without having any antivirus software. Why? Because I know what, 
how to use Windows without using antivirus, right? Like I don't click on weird things. I don't install weird things. I don't want read scripts. I don't, uh, you know, all of these things. I There's a certain security practices that I follow. And if you do those things, you can get away with it. Uh, not necessarily recommending anybody do that. Same thing applies to Android to a certain extent, right? Like if you just use the phone, the attack vector is fairly low if you're, you know, unless you're jumping on public Wi-Fi all the time and have no idea what you're doing and not paying attention to things, then you might set yourself up for some problems. But I, I think the reason that people tend to migrate towards Android is because it's fairly simple to fix a security problem, right? Like essentially, I mean, I can fix it in 10 minutes and I'm not even a developer and we could write a little update program that, that updates the base layer of Android OS and, and deals with security patches. That's an easy problem to solve. Thought process, culture, the idea that I'm smarter than you and so I'll tell you what you want to do with your technology and what you want to own and how you want to own it and you want to pay seven times more for it because I put the right logo on the back of it and you will care because I told you, that's a much harder thing to change, right? And so I think those of us that are in the Android ecosystem go, well, I'd rather have Android because ultimately that is the closest thing we have to an open source model on mobile and we know that the eventual outcome will be a higher quality model than that of proprietary versions. We've seen that play out time and time again, right? I, think, I mean, that's my best pitch. People who can run an Android device and, you know, make the claim that they're better off are individuals who wipe their Google operating system off and use something like, um, I keep thinking purism, Michael, but what's the lineage, lineage OS is what you're talking lineage about. Lineage OS or something along those or lines. Or touch. Then you can make the claim, yeah, then you can make the claim that you've actually created a superior system to what Apple has, which to your point is a crap system. It's a crap system that people even on Apple are bored of and don't want to be in it. But it at least provides the very foundation of the reasons we all fell in love with Linux, which is privacy and security to a degree. It does it a completely different way. And it's not a way I agree with, but I'd rather have one than the other. I have to carry around both. So I can't really make a claim because in my industry, I have to have both phones. So I have to carry around the Androids and the iPhones. But I, you know, at the end of the day, I think if you're going to use Google's phones, you should be wiping them and putting a different operating system on it. And then yeah. you've got the advantages of both worlds there. But some other announcements that Google had to come up with here that I thought, Noah, you would be really excited about was Google Lens improvements. So they demonstrated a real-time menu recommendation and tip calculations. And how this worked is they had the Google, um, they used the app, not the glasses, but I assume it's the same thing. They pointed the app, the Google Lens app at the menu. It then pulled up real-time pictures of people who've, you know, all, you know, all those people when you go to a restaurant, take pictures of their food, That's real awesome. pictures of the food as you're going through the menu and the reviews right next to it. So as you're scanning the menu, it's telling you the reviews and showing you real pictures of what the food looks like. I thought that was pretty cool. Then they take the receipt and they put it in front and it says, hey, if you want to give 15%, put this much money and here's what your total would be. Because how many people you see pull out their calculator to calculate their tip percentage? I thought this stuff was really pretty cool. That's kind of cool, and I, I I do like the idea of having the the, the, the real time menu stuff because like every time I've gone to mo so many restaurants that you even if you go to their website they don't have photos of what their food looks like or even what the actual ingredients are. They just kind of give you a name of what it is and like a small description, and then you just have to guess what actually is in it. So also they showed AR options within Google itself. So one of the examples was when you look up a shark or something like that. Now you can pull up a augmented reality on your phone and take that shark or that skeletal muscle system and show it right there 
in your living room or if you had shoes, you had an outfit laying on the bed, I think they showed, and you were looking up shoes, you could take those shoes, move them into the AR environment so that they're right next to your outfit to see if they would look like what it would look like having them on. They were doing some really cool things. And this is all within Google search itself. So when you're searching for something like shoes or whatnot, you can just pull out the AR version through the app and show it there. Uh, Google Assistant getting smarter. The new Chromebook ARM devices will all run Linux using their built-in container VM from this point forward. So even their ARM-based devices, which were you could hack around them somewhat to get them to run the Linux container. Now Chrome is saying every, or Google saying every Chromebook this day forward will have the Linux container system in it, which I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and Google Play Protect adds more controls, um, albeit many of them manual. So you kind of like Windows where it's like, hey, we have privacy controls. Good luck finding them. Uh, Google has done the same thing here where you can manually have more control over your privacy and security there in the Play Protect store for what apps access or continue to access. So all in all, after hearing all this, Zeb, since you're the one who hasn't said anything yet on this, what are your thoughts on Google? Google's I.O. event, I should say. Um, it's obviously just going to be their way of trying to allay um, certain people's fears about privacy. But it, like you, you've already pointed out, it's just a big joke. Everybody knows that anything that they are going to do um, from a privacy point of view is just going to be tickling the surface and everything that's going on in the background, they're still going to data mine you. They're still going to gather all the information you want exactly the same as Facebook. We're going to make Facebook more secure. I don't think there was a single person in the audience who would believe that for, for one second. Innovation that they come up with, sure, they've got millions and billions of dollars to to make stuff. And what I, what I want to see out of this is other companies who have proved they are more security conscious using some of this stuff for their own products. Probably won't be able to do it because it's closed source, I'm gathering, because it's Google. Um, I'm just not one of these people who's that fussed about I mean, I've been on the internet since goodness knows when. So they've already got all of the information about me. They ever want to. Oh, uh, we do, Zeb. We do. <laughs> we know everything about you. Well, you haven't successfully trolled me yet, so I can't believe that for one for one minute. So you know, we already have a we already have a troll ready for you. Self, there's going to be a caravan, and you have to drive it, and you have to spend your entire trip in the caravan. Yeah. That's fine. I'll do that. I've got absolutely nothing against caravans in any way, shape, or form. It's <laughs> fun on the game when you hit them in the right way and they go spinning off in the rearview mirrors. Um, but so, yeah, so using Google products doesn't bother me because it's just convenient. And unfortunately, 95% of the population out there will go for convenience over having to buy this $1,000 you know, phone wipe it clean and then put their own OS on there and then have all the hassle of trying to work out how to, to get the, the flipping thing to work. So, yep, I'm great. I'm, I'm really glad that we've got people like yourself, uh, Ryan, who have a passion about this and bring us all the information so that that 5% know how to deal with it and know where to go. But you're, you're talking to a very, very small 
population out there. Unfortunately, I think you're 100% right. At the end yeah. of the day, most people still carry around their phone, don't care what Google grabs from them. They'll just be like, whatever. They And that that's how we got here to begin with. I mean, that's Facebook, that's Google, that's all of this. Mm-hmm. If people cared, if people rioted the second all this stuff happened, we wouldn't be here as a society. Um, and, and it's already having major implications in people's lives. People are losing their jobs over this information that's being gathered. People are getting denied for credit cards. People are having these things brought up in court cases that are recorded and said. So people act like, well, I don't do anything wrong, so I'm fine with this. But it, it's already had impacts in pockets on people's lives. It's only going to get worse. And until, though, it affects everybody. Until everybody's like, oh my gosh, this actually did matter. Google was taking it. Then most people are just going to simply ignore it. Okay. Um, on to some more news now. And not a month seems to go by that we don't hear about Microsoft's love for Linux, whether true or false. <laughs> now, Microsoft has announced that it will now ship a full Linux kernel from within its WSL platform. Um, This means it's no longer just a compatibility layer, and you can now run full Linux command line programs on Windows with a native-like speed. You will also have full native Docker container support. They will now also be uh, servicing the 4.9 kernel via Windows updates, and I'm really interested to see how how that's going to work. So this is in addition to the news that uh, Ubuntu 19.04 um, is also available now for WSL, as a desktop image in Hyper-V. Canonical announced that they will be, be providing the latest LTS version and non-LTS versions going forward. Let's take a moment to think about this. A full Linux kernel inside Windows. It's crazy. Hang on, I'm just checking. No, there's no pigs flying outside. Um, <laughs> you better look again, because you definitely just said that Microsoft <laughs> is shipping a native Linux kernel. Yeah. <laughs> so... Not everyone is seeing this as a victory, however. Some are claiming this is a part of the normal Microsoft strategy of embrace, extend, and extinguish. Now, I don't believe that particular line in this instance because of one thing. More and more of Microsoft stuff is now working on the web. It's working on Azure. And correct me if I'm wrong, Azure is a form of Linux? Yes. Yeah, sort so of. Why would they try and kill Azure something? Azure Sphere is a Linux distro. Azure the, is a platform. I mean, the the reality is that they can't. Right? It's Linux has gotten too big, too successful. Runs on ninety nine percent of the world's infrastructure for servers. There is zero chance that Microsoft has. Even Microsoft, with all of their money, doesn't have enough money and enough power to overrun Linux. It ain't going to happen. Yeah. I could see a day where Windows becomes an abstraction layer on top of a Linux kernel. And essentially what you have is a Linux-based operating system with an execution layer that runs PL code on top. That could happen. It's weird. Clippy just came up on my screen and said, challenge accepted, Noah. That's so strange. Yeah, okay. Yeah, good luck. Good luck. Clippy. Good luck. You couldn't even you couldn't even win little old ladies trying to copy and paste stuff in, in Microsoft Word back in two thousand. How dare you? So oh, taking, sorry, was that out loud? What you said further, Noah, does that sort of mean then that Windows ten could be another Linux desktop? I think so. I don't think it would be, and again, somebody out there that who knows more about software development than I do, and maybe it's because you're developing in Visual Studio and I just use little old Sublime text, but somebody might there might tell me that I'm totally off on this, but the, 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 what is the, the Windows desktop actually has a name, doesn't it? I can't think of what it is. 
garbage uh, uh, arrow right arrow yeah arrow yeah so th- if you take the i guess arrow is probably like a theme or whatever but you could take that and you could build those graphic elements on in, in a linux de with relative ease uh probably something cute based and stack that on top i have a linux kernel that runs b- below and do something like application streams uh, like Red Hat is doing, where you've got a moving environment up above, and if you have access to the actual NT source code, then you know how to execute PL code. There should be a way to tie those two things together to let the Linux kernel execute that stuff. So, the, I mean, and the thing is, if Microsoft were to do that, they essentially alleviate the development costs of Windows. I mean, essentially, it becomes free. The, uh, thousands and thousands of developers are going to do the work to maintain the thing, and all Microsoft has to do is slap their branding on it and and sh- ship it out the door. And like we discussed a couple of weeks ago, I don't think the four of us uh, are ever going to bother reinstalling an operating system if it actually came with Linux on it. I mean, who cares what company supported the Linux? The fact that it came pre-installed and works and would work with all these applications and stuff and is what industry supported, I think that would win Microsoft a lot of favors. Even people like me would probably stop second-guessing them. Well, it's a pretty interesting situation. So uh, I, I saw a lot of celebration out there when this news hit. I personally will say that I was confused at the celebration. Not that I, I, I don't hate Microsoft. I made most of my living supporting Microsoft products most of my life. So uh, I don't I don't hate Microsoft in any stretch of the imagination. I think that they, uh, obviously Linux is a superior product, but I was kind of surprised to see so many in the Linux community, big names, YouTube channels, things like that coming out saying, this is it. This is the year of the Linux. Everybody celebrate. Oh my gosh, it's finally here. Woohoo. Yeah, All this let's, not, let's not say stuff like that. that that's, was, that's the kind of stuff to do. I think that the people at. who are saying that were the ones that are not a part of the community, like ZDNet or Register. They are doing the whole making fun the of Linux, Linux. Gamer did it, and other folks out there that have a okay. big following. Well, and, you know, have, hey, have a large following, and they're just, this well, is those it. Guys Hopefully, are it's in jest. Yeah. No, um, I don't think it is. I'm not sure. Well, I don't care that Microsoft has done this. I, I'm and part of me kind of gets this, and I'm kind of mixing some issues. Uh, you know, Ubuntu is going out there and they're saying, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna give you the latest 19.04. We're gonna support it in this system." I believe uh, OpenSUSE is doing the same thing. They're they're helping with uh, getting things working there, and maybe some other distros as well. We're just falling over backwards to make sure everything works well in Windows. Meanwhile, Windows has given us Clippy and Calculator, open source and Visual Studio. I, I just, I'm like, why are we have to work? We had to work so many years, and I've only been a part of this journey for going on four years now to get anything of Windows to work in Linux. But the second Windows goes, hey, we're kind of interested in this Linux thing, we're like, whoa, stop the presses. What can we do to help you and make this work perfect on your amazing platform yeah. called Windows? That's what I feel you like. Know, so to be honest with you, and this is something I don't talk about very openly, but every every piece of code we write at AltaSpeed is open source. All of it is. But, but we don't necessarily advertise where all that code is. And the reason for that is, is one of the things I think keeps Linux from getting ahead. Anytime we have a cool utility like FFmpeg that literally nothing else can touch, it's never, it's never a brand differentiator because three weeks later, it's available on Windows and Mac OS. Right, you any cool, sufficiently cool technology that exists on Linux eventually gets ported, and it, I think that's fundamentally what keeps us moving ahead. So, to your point, that's kind of the Linux way, right? Every time Microsoft does something that hurts us, we go, oh, "Screw you guys!" 
every time Microsoft does something where they want to take advantage of Linux uh, technology, we bend over backwards to try to accommodate them for some stupid reason. And we do the same thing with NVIDIA, right? If in sure. now, now we have it where you could just click a button and everything you need for NVIDIA, it's going to detect your card and it's going to install the proprietary drivers for you and everybody's happy and celebrating. Meanwhile, AMD sitting out there going, hey, we kind of made our stuff open source. Yeah, we don't care about you. NVIDIA, though, we're going to make it super to install your you know, proprietary drivers. That. You know, and, and by the way, we're going to take six, seven months before we do a hardware enablement stack so you can use your new AMD thing that's in the kernel. But NVIDIA, what can we do to make things easier for your proprietary drivers to get installed? Microsoft, what can we do to make our operating system work perfect inside of Windows so you never have to leave it? Because whatever that is, we're on board. That's what it feels like right now to me. And I, I guess I'm just being a negative Nelly. But that's what I feel like the Linux community, when I saw all the celebration and balloons and Twitter comments of Year of the Linux, those two things went in my head and I'm going, has everybody lost their mind over here? As far as, okay, there is some benefit to having Linux, uh, you know, even full-blown Linux kernel inside of the, the, the subsystem. And that's mainly because if there's some people who are because uh, Linux it. is the tool to them. Yeah. Well, there's some people who. Well, no, there are some people who like that. Yes, but I'm saying there are some people. That, I mean, there's benefits to the Linux ecosystem if with this happening. It very small percentage. I I totally agree in the grand scheme with you, Ryan, about how this it, the people are blowing it out of proportion, saying this is great. But I'm saying that there's a benefit in the sense that it has the potential of bringing uh, sysadmins who are Windows admins the experience to actually try this and then realize that it's good and then kind of gradually move over to Linux and try it from that point. However, I think that percentage is very small. And I think that the, the fact that people are talking about how this is a good thing for Linux is like, uh, no, it's a good thing for Windows. I mean, it's a good thing for Microsoft. Yeah, it's, it's not a really good thing a for business decision for them. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily benefit Linux ecosystem in yeah, any way. I disagree. Way. Like, I just, that's, that's not true. Well, look, look at it this way, Noah. I can go get a computer. I can have Windows on it. I can now run a full GUI version of Ubuntu that runs now, I think they said 20 times faster than their prior version. Uh, I can have every piece of software or hardware that I plug into my machine or purchase work immediately because I don't have to mess with drivers like I do sometimes in Linux. And I can run every advantage that I have in the Linux tool through that VM without ever having to boot into it. Why do I leave? Why should I leave Windows? Because eventually what's going to happen is, I mean, you're right. It, it, I think what it does is it makes Linux more approachable to normal human beings, right? There's a, there's an old joke and it is, it's a satisfaction survey from windows and says, would you recommend windows 10 to another person? And the answer is other. And it says, I need you to understand people don't randomly go around recommending operating systems to one another. <laughs> right? That's true. Mo the nine, like we're geeks. So we talk about this stuff. 99.99999% of people are never going to touch Linux because they just use whatever comes on the computer. So separating those two discussions from, moment of the the mythical would-be Linux user if only they, you know, had it installed or whatever. Uh, separating those people out, you've got people that are either going to use, are going to use Linux for the things that they can, or they're never going to touch it because if it, it doesn't work on the laptop that's in front of them. So this, I think, makes it more approachable for the laptops that's in front of them. And as they become familiar with all of the, the, the tools and the stability and the security of Linux, I think over time, it's definitely going to move them that direction when it comes to server and management stuff there. But I also think at some point they go, you know, I don't actually use anything on the Windows stuff. I'm always inside of my Linux stuff. I just switch over and everything's a web app anyway. So all my software actually works. 
10 years ago or even five years ago, I might have agreed with you that there was a concern about drivers and stuff like that. But I mean, let's face it. Today, you take a latest install of Ubuntu LTS, walk in a Best Buy, grab a laptop, shove a flash drive in there, and chances are nine out of 10 times, everything works flawlessly out of the box. Yeah, go buy that latest AMD card, slap it into that system in the in the old LTS version, and you would never have worked. Uh, but slap it Windows, and it would have. I, I don't agree. I think there's tons of hardware compatibility issues, even in sound equipment, which I know you're very familiar with. There is tons of sound equipment you cannot plug into Linux out of the box and get it to work. You have to either use Jack or you have to go in there and modify your false audio file, which I released source code for how you can do that. Um, but there, there are things out there that you have to sit there and tweak. Now, I can have a Windows environment and I can do everything I can do on Linux inside that Windows environment, have full compatibility. You're not giving a whole lot of compelling reasons left, minus privacy and security, which we already agreed 90, 95% of the population could care less about, um, a reason to switch to Linux. And I think at the end of the day, I had to come to the realization after looking at this news, I wrote this whole thing because I was going to do a video on it and I still may, where I realized, you know, the big companies that represent Linux don't care about the desktop, right? That's not important to them. They care about the servers. And at the end of the day, that's the reality I had to come to the conclusion of is this is, this is the desktop is not their focus. The server is. And that's why everybody's bending over backwards to make this work because they don't care if people use Linux desktop. They care that people use Linux as a server. How would you respond if I told you that there that companies could care less if it's the desktop or the server that Microsoft interest is in where their client's money is? So if you have a developer and that developer wants to compile code, it, that Microsoft doesn't really care if he's compiling that code on a server or on his laptop. They just want him to be on a Microsoft Windows infrastructure. So I think one of the reasons Microsoft is so heavily investing in getting native run kernel, why they spent probably hundreds of thousands of dollars on that commercial for making a terminal sexy is because they want to bring that developer market over to Microsoft Windows. And right now it doesn't exist. And I think the, 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 the compelling thing for those developers, because you can, I mean, Windows, Mac OS, Linux doesn't matter if you're SSHing into a server. It's when you want to run code locally to test before you push out to the server. That's where it matters. I think that's kind of where some of this plays in. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is that you agree and that this is negative to it because this No, is, I, that's I, exactly what you just that's said. That's exactly what he said. You, Let's move on next article. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, well, you just said that people would move be using Windows more I, often because they, they yeah. would want to use it locally and they have the, the incentive to get the benefit of having Windows and also having the stuff that they can do Linux locally with Linux. people don't care at the end of the day because they're more concerned. And Microsoft is concerned you're on the Microsoft platform. Linux is concerned you're using Linux as a server. And now they're both combining into their the areas they care about. The desktop is an afterthought. And they're literally, if I put Windows on my machine right now, if I didn't care about privacy or security, unfortunately, like Zeb said, I'm one of those 5%. But I'm getting all the advantages of both. Every piece of hardware I plug in, I can play every game I want to without having to mess with Wine or Lutris or anything else. And mm -hmm. I can mess with Linux and drop Dockers in a second and, and utilize all the tools with an Ubuntu right there built in. What is the disadvantage again? I mean, all of the Windows privacy stuff. Yeah, but we only know 5% of people in the world care about that. So what's the, I, like I guess I said, for me, I, I, of course. But. I guess, I guess what I would, I guess what I would tell you is that I have yet to meet a, maybe, maybe Microsoft will fix this. Okay. And maybe I have a misunderstanding of their brand, but I have never met a passionate Windows person. 
I'm, I'm sure they're out there. I just have never met one. I've never met anybody that I've went, oh, either. guys, 16, what is it? They did similar release cadences to, to Ubuntu, but they, it's like 16 whatever, 1604, 1605, something like that is their release or whatever for Windows 10. Nobody, I've never had an IT guy come up to me and go, oh, 16 whatever is out and it's so exciting. Windows 10 is so fabulous. <laughs> Everything works. Like, that conversation never happens, right? People, the, if you hear somebody talk about Windows updates, patch Tuesday, oh God, what's going to break? You know, I mean, that's kind of the, that's kind of the attitude towards Windows. So I think they have a branding problem and I don't think there's anybody out there that wants to be on Windows. I think they just tolerate it enough. So for those reasons, what I would tell you to the answer of, well, people are just going to go, oh, Windows just works and so why would I leave? I think there's always an inclination to want to move off of Windows. I think previously that inclination has been to move to Mac. I think this iteration is going to make that transition easier into Linux, but we'll see. I think there's potential for it to be uh, making an easier transition overall. I, I I just I think there I think both sides both arguments are valid and I and I do think that, that that the claim of Linux desktop through this is just appalling to me really because it's not even the Linux desktop at that point it's just Linux on a desktop via Windows Linux is now a tool That's yeah it. so the fact that if if any if anybody's like legitimately praising this as like for the Linux desktop I mean that just seems like a complete contradiction to what the Linux desktop is meant to be. So, so last week we had a uh, discussion about the Librem and the PureOS and the, everything that they're doing for the Librem five and that kind of thing. And it was a very interesting thing. So if you haven't checked it out. You need to go back and uh, you know continue watching this episode if you want to, of course, like or put them in two different tabs too at the same time. There's an option there. Uh, but uh, we, it was a really interesting uh, conversation we had. And this week we have some interesting news from Ubuntu Touch regarding the Librem five. And that is um, that it might not be available on the Librem 5. So um, a lot of people are excited about the idea of having a true mobile device that is Linux-based, or genuinely Linux, not the Android way. And uh, I'm, I, I completely agree. I'm one of those people. And yep. a lot of people are hanging their hats on the Librem 5 because they've had they've they've you know been promoting it as being like a flagship device for this approach and, and they've to Noah's point it has hardware right coming yeah. with it and it's a, com- a company making the software making the hardware so it is kind of like that and they've they've said that they're going to be releasing in quarter three of this year um one of the claims made by purism is that it would support a bunch of touch they they mentioned this when they first announced it that it would be a supporting like multiple different operating systems including a bunch of touch but that doesn't seem to be happening because we, if you look at the Q&A on the website for Ubuntu Touch and UbiPorts, there's a message regarding the, the Librem 5 that's not not a good message at this point. It says, uh, Purism announced this week that there will be Librem-branded uh, existing apps that are available for the, net, the their notebook and their phone. But they said that not much is happening between the, between, uh, they're saying not much is happening between us with the UbiPorts and Librem. There have been no dev kits that is sent to to the UbiPorts team, so Ubuntu Touch, uh, of course, already has these different applications that are similar. So they already have a Matrix app, they have a, a Mastodon app, they have email and that kind of thing. So without a dev kit, it's very unlikely that any of this in a time frame that Librem saying that or Purism saying that Librem Five is coming out, that the Ubuntu Touch will be ready because if they can't, they don't even have access to work on it to make it work. It's unlikely that it will even happen any remotely anytime soon. Yeah, this is interesting, Noah. So, you know, a lot of times you're wrong in your predictions. I don't want to bring up the fact you owe me lunch because of the Clonezilla discussion last week with Noah. I, I, we need to have that discussion on air, by the way. 
<laughs> but um, no, I'm teasing, of course. Uh, a lot of times you're not wrong. And in this case, you were predicting last week that, you know, number one, Librum kind of has a track record, a little reputation. You were saying the court, quarter three thing wasn't going to happen. It looks like they had made a you know, claim that they were going to support Ubuntu Touch at some point during their development, but have yet to even send them a developer's kit to make that happen. Doesn't look like it's a good sign that we're going to have Ubuntu Touch support on the Librem 5 device that they're releasing out here. Um, not a good sign at all for the collaboration. I, I, I just want to <laughs> wait. I, I just want to wait. To, I want to... Now, here's the thing. I, I want to be careful. I want to choose my words carefully because I don't want to tear anybody down. So, I mean, I guess what we'll do is we'll we'll watch to see. I The more I learn about the company and the more I learn about the internal workings and the more I see the kind of public image that they put out there, I don't know if anybody else kind of followed the commercial that came out, <laughs> which was interesting to yeah. say the least. Yeah. I just don't think that they are competing at the same level that they want to be. If you look at the competitors towards, I mean, can you imagine Dropbox or, or Google drive or Apple releasing a commercial like that? Do you go look at some of the stuff that, that, that they've tweeted out and some of the messaging that's there? I, I'm just, I'm very, very concerned that our reputation as open source advocates and as Linux advocates are being represented by a company that is making some pretty wild claims, right? We're working with Intel to open source the micro. I mean, I, you know, I, I just, I, I'm real concerned. So I, I don't want to, I, I, th I feel like we ragged on them quite a bit in the last episode. So I don't want to do that. I just, I'll, I'll leave it at, I think we just need to be very, very cautious uh, with these kinds of companies and hold them accountable when they don't deliver on the promise that they made to users. Yeah, at the end of the day, this is why I think it's important. Ubuntu Touch is probably the most promising mobile OS on Android out there. That team is ridiculously passionate about what they're doing, and they're good at it. And I think it would be a real shame if uh, the Librem team does not work to, the Purism team does not work to fix this issue very quickly, because that would be one of the major draws of interest for me to utilizing that phone would be Ubuntu Touch on there. And these these teams collaborating together to fix the holes that are there today to kind of make this a, a very workable solution. And, you, you know, this is a situation, again, like I talked about earlier, where we're going to have dozens of half-baked mobile devices and operating systems instead of people working together to come up with a very you know, singular solution here, which is what's needed if you want to compete. You're never going to compete at any real level, I don't think, unless something major changes, but at least even be considered a competition, be a blip on the map. You're going to have to work together to do that. I really hope the Purism team gets that dev kit out to the Ubuntu Touch team and gives them a chance to be able to work out some of these bugs before it launches because Ubuntu Touch would be the main draw for me to even play with the phone. So definitely some happier news here because Space Mercs is going to launch and it's going to launch on Linux first. So they really care about Linux. They are a developer that makes games. And unlike other companies who are just going for the biggest market, they care about Linux so much that they're going to give their games to Linux people first, which made me decide I'm going to become a patron of this development company, Bearded Giant Games, which, by the way, is the coolest name ever. 
so I became a patron of theirs this week just for that. Um, uh, not only because they have an amazing name, but also because they launched Linux first. Um, so you can become a patron as well, and you'll be one of the first ones to actually get access to their games if you do so. This game has great graphics, Zeb, so it's not just a pixelated game out there. Um, it has quick battles. This is a space game, Space Mercs, obviously. Uh, it has quick battles with random ships, duels for one-on-one, three versus three, survival modes out there. It also has, and this is how I think we'll probably get Noah to play this on day one, the coolest feature I've ever seen in the game. It actually has a Klee in it, a terminal. On the right side of the screen lies the game's Klee. You can use it to explore previously mentioned menus in more detail. You can CD into it. You can cat the review text files in there to figure out different scoring and things in the game. It's just taking this beautiful, beautifully graphic game and then adding that little bit of Linux in there too so you can claim you're learning Linux at the same time while you're blowing up other people's ships. What is not to love? Can I get an amen? Hey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I looked at this and I, I immediately had a little nostalgic thought of the original um, Elite where you had your wireframe spaceships. And I thought, mm -hmm. this is what Elite would have turned into had they had the capability to do those sort of graphics when you're flying around in a spaceship. And the thing that I really liked about this is a lot of the games out there, and, and why I, I, I'm not very popular with them, is you're, you're on the screen and you're trying to fight the enemy and you've got 64,000 million enemies coming at you at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah? And you just you've got no chance of defeating him unless you're an ambidextrous octopus or something. But this <laughs> looks like you could you could practice, you could learn your flying techniques, you're, you're breaking and you're flipping over, and and it yeah. looks like it runs at a pace that's acceptable and isn't overly stupid. So yeah, this is something that I'll definitely go and have a look at. Um, and it'd be great to have a, a one on one and and show Nvidia blasting Team Red out of the window. Oh, that would never happen. Let's get real here. <laughs> I thought we were doing a serious show, Zeb. Challenge accepted. Oh, we'll we'll have a we'll battle do some on space Marks battle. Yeah. Sounds good, man. Yeah, it actually looks like a fun game. It, it, it reminds me of like uh, Elite. What Elite would be plus um, Wing Commander, like the the w Wing Commander, and also a little yeah. bit of Star Fox. Yeah, 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 all that. So, and it's like a modern version of all that, which is like really, really. Uh, I, I can't, I can't wait to try it out. And I really hope that there is a character that randomly says, "Do a barrel roll," um, even though it's not a barrel roll. But I wanted to, I want someone to say that in that game. I think to put on your shields and go into power up mode, you should have to type in pseudo. I like that too. <laughs> if, if anybody, if anybody who's working on this game would like for, or like for voiceover, I'd be happy to do the barrel roll thing for you. Or just send us copies of the game too. That too, that too. Yeah. Oh, that's like that. That'd be like the you know the open source sharing aspect of it. Yeah. There's no reason to panic. Everybody, please remain calm. It turns out that an easy anti-cheat is still going to support Linux, just not always with a the priority. There were some reports that after Epic Games purchased easy anti-cheat, Linux support was going to stop, but this was based on comments the partners of theirs made. Earlier in the week, turns out they are not planning to stop the development for the tool for Linux. Confirming in a recent tweet, Anti-Cheat said, To clarify, Easy Anti-Cheat still provides native Linux support and will continue to do so. Earlier comments made by a partner reflect ordinary day-to-day -day prioritization decisions on anti-cheat issues across platforms and are not going to change long-term priority for Linux. 
So this is an anti-cheat system used by many games, and if it became deprecated for Linux, it would essentially mean the loss of support for playing on them. And of course, if they deprioritize Linux, then no one, then one would hope that competitors would attempt to capitalize on this. What do you guys think about this? I think this is a way to of, of epic and easy anti-cheat trying to subdue the massive issue of the reality that epic is terrible. <laughs> Well, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I I, um, I I saw the hysteria going around about the anti-cheat going away that was caused from, I think, a select few going, oh my gosh, the world's falling. The, the reality is Epic Games has very little control over things. And while they may be trying to be a power player, you know, in, in the house and maybe have shown some, in the past, have shown no interest in Linux at all, um, recently through work from Lutris, I think, have shown some interest in what Linux is doing. I, you know, I, They have interest when someone else does the work. When someone else does the work, yeah. I, I just have, I don't really have any interest in Epic Games. If, if a company came in and said, hey, uh, anti-cheat said we're not going to support Linux anymore, I would just take all of those games off my machine and go find something else. I mean, I don't, I don't care about anything they develop that's important enough for me to um, be like, oh, if I can't play this game, then I guess I'm going to dual boot. I mean, it's never going to happen. So um, at the end of the day, I wouldn't have been in hysterics anyways. I'd just find other games to play. Yeah. So like Noah, being the non-gamer here, I'm assuming that this anti-cheat module, if it doesn't work for Linux, you can't sign on to the servers and take part in in online multiplayer. Is that right? Is it or does this mean it's not going to continue to get updated? It won't allow you to be on this thing. So, so like, there's some people who are arguing that in some cases, some of these games allow, like, for example, Rust. That was a thing where people, um, like, Easy Antitude was being used, and the people who made it decided to get rid of uh, support for Linux because of, uh, not necessarily to block it, but they're, they're, they're pausing their development for Linux because of this issue, uh, mm-hmm. because it makes it easier for people who are, uh, using a, the platform that doesn't support the anti-cheat that they're doing to easy, more easily cheat, and the the ultimate result uh, result of having that that ability to cheat would be they would block the entire platform in some cases. So that like there are some parts of it where the fact that this is having an issue in some games could result in those games just removing support entirely from the from the game itself like for example rust they didn't remove support but they the you can't purchase rust anymore for linux from the steam store like they actually turn they turn mm-hmm. that down for now they might they they said that they they hoped to bring it back but that's what they had to do but at the same time i think that this statement from the tweet from the easy anti cheat people is the best most worthless way of saying that they support Linux. Uh, Let's just break it down to what they say. This is a marketing um, nonsense comment. Uh, Earlier comments by a partner reflect ordinary day-to-day prioritization decisions on easy anti-cheat across all platforms and not any change in the long-term priority. Does that mean that Linux has a priority? No. It doesn't change anything about the the long-term priority. We'll eventually do something when we care to whenever we we decide that it's worth our time. That, that that it changes nothing. It it, right. it it doesn't actually say that they care about it. It doesn't say that they're not pausing it. All it is is like, hey, um, the people who are who care about this, we're not going to drop it entirely. But that doesn't mean we're going to do anything. So that, we're not going to help it. We're not going to stop it. Right. It just 
but they're saying that they're not stopping easy anti-cheat from having support someday. That's not helpful. That's that's actually a worthless response. That's why I don't think that this changes anything about whether whether uh, whether this has support or not because we didn't have support for easy anti-cheat anyway. Like it really doesn't. Some of it, like there's some a little bit of support, but it doesn't really work in the native structure that people are expecting it to. That's why a lot of games don't work on Linux. And it doesn't work at all with Proton, even though Valve and Easy Entity announced that they were working together to make it work, and all of a sudden that might not be happening anymore either. So I think Epic Games is trash. Um, and the fact that they bought Rocket League makes them hate me hate them any, even more. So, You know what's funny about <sighs> this is um, people are talking about how these game companies out there they cannot com- they're launching all these stores but they cannot compete with steam right they they keep coming out different people discords trying to release a store epics released a store ea's released a store everybody's well, releasing can. a store but they cannot get anything that even comes close to steam and the reason is because of stupid things like this they do not see the market they don't see the where the market's going they're not looking at what google's doing and adjusting appropriately to the market they're just standing still this is just a classic example of companies run by suits and they're not players or gamers themselves and they have no idea what they're talking about or doing. They just want people's money mm-hmm. uh, versus um, you know, Steam, which I think tends to stay and really pave paths that didn't exist before. Yes. Without Steam, gaming on Linux would be, you'd be playing Tuxcart and that's about it and a couple other you know pretty, pretty yeah. old style like looking games are fun, but they're, they're nothing like what bigger major studios produce and uh with steam in there basically paving the entire path and now google following along now you see why none of the other companies can compete they don't see they don't have a vision they just follow the market where they think it's going to go unfortunately by the time epic gets around to following the market it'll already pass them and steam will stomp them in the ground well i, I agree that the, the valve is the, the is what made linux gaming a thing and i do think that valve by far has the best platform for gaming and they, and not only just in Linux, of course, but also in, in Windows, like they have so many more features and everything. Like if you look at the feature set compared to Epic Game Store versus Steam, there's like two things that Epic's Game Store has that even remotely comes close to what Steam offers. So like, and, and Steam keeps adding new and more, more features and, and improving the existing features and every, making people like want to use their, uh, their things for all kinds of stuff. Like you can now do voice chat directly in Steam rather than like Discord or whatever. Uh, but at the same time, Epic has Fortnite, which is a ridiculously popular game that has given them so much money to the point where while their store is garbage and their tech their their approach to um, games like the game industry itself is garbage, they still have a chance because they have so much money to throw at other companies to get exclusive like force exclusives. Kind of like a Blizzard play, right? Blizzard yeah. isn't competition to Steam, but Blizzard has created enough of their own IPs to make it so that you're still going to download the Blizzard store on top of having Steam. I actually would, I, I would say, even though I think Blizzard is terrible because they refuse to support Linux and they do have, they use Linux on their, their servers to actually facilitate their games, that I, I think that they're terrible for that. I would say what Blizzard did is more reasonable. Because they created their own IP, they created their own games with their own franchises, and that's what they use the exclusives for. They didn't just go to random companies and give them extra money to not release on Steam. Like right. that's what Epic is doing, mm-hmm. and that's why Epic is garbage. Like if in the, the you take the fact that they're they're making claims on um, 
Twitter, like Tim Sweeney made claims on Twitter that cross-platform is important. And then he's making it break on the same platform. Like, yeah. he, he's, he's, a he's a walking contradiction to his own comments. And he ignores Linux. He's, ma he's mocked Linux in, in the past saying that no one should even bother. Like, it's because it's like, it's like moving into a different country if you don't like your, your, your current country's political climate. And he, he's, he's, he's basically ruining gaming industry all at the same time considering himself and promoting him the Epic as if they are the saviors of the game industry. It's I, I don't like Epic Games. How do you really feel? Do you like them or no? <laughs> I don't really like them, but I ha there is one I'll, to change this from a negative me ranting on Epic Games. Uh, there is one good thing that was recently released, like a couple days ago, even um, BattleEye. They're a competitor to Easy Anti Cheat, and they announced mm -hmm. that they're going to be working with Valve to make BattleEye work with yeah. Proton. So that is cool. awesome, and it pot potentially makes it possible for Pub PUBG and games like that to be ported I or know, be dude, in Proton PUBG and everything. By itself, I mean, yeah, that would be huge. I mean, I, I, yeah. PUBG is like the the biggest competitor to Fortnite, and uh, I if we had that, who cares about Fortnite? Exactly. Exactly. I could jump in the plane, land on the ground, and get shot in thirty seconds on Linux instead of doing it in Windows. Fantastic. Exactly. We Exa could all laugh. Exactly. <laughs> but then, the, or or you could uh, get in the plane and then parachute down and then spend twenty minutes trying to find guns and ammo and then have a ten second battle and then you die and start over. Yeah, Perfect. Yeah, but at the same time, I can't call you a filthy dual booter, so it's one less insult That's, while we're laughing. I don't. You I don't even play the game anyway. <laughs> no, I was talking to Zeb about Zeb. Oh, okay. We know you're a filthy dual booter. That's. On that note. Okay, moving on to our software spotlight this week. Um, this has already made it into my favorites and it's in like the number four position okay. on, on my on my on my bar now. New Linux App Store named Linux App Store dot or Linux App Store dot IO. And it's available to find out if an app you need is available as a flat pack, a snap, or an app image. Searching each database can be a pain, so this one-stop shop is a great addition for those who prefer the universal packaging system. Open your favorite browser and head over to linuxappstore.io and you will be taken to the corresponding universal package page for that app if it exists. Now, I've got a little question about that last statement. Is it if it exists on the App Store or if it exists full stop? Because do they have every single they're, they're trying to cover having they, they want to have a directory of all of the app images all of the snaps and all of the flat packs that are available period wherever they might be so for example if you go to look for an app image app images are hard to find sometimes is what i'm saying like yeah it's kind of hard to find uh there's there's actually multiple different stores that are not really stores they're kind of like third-party mm -hmm. things and there's also like this, the the main people who built app images also created a bunch of app images on uh, Bintray, like a, a separate directory that's not really a store, but they're they're there to download. Mm -hmm. So this is a great approach to that because it makes you uh, have a, a single place to go to get all these app images because they have they have uh, I don't know if they have every app image that's made, but they have a ton of them because they mm -hmm, also sure. have I'm pretty sure they have support for GitHub. Uh, and the the get the not only the like just regular GitHub people that put up stuff, but also yeah. like there's a GitHub thing that the app image people made. So there's like a GitHub that's like app images or like app image hub at GitHub or something like that, and it mm -hmm. supports it in this. So it's a really so, cool idea, and I think that like 
making it easier to use those makes it a benefit. And you also have to get the extra benefit of flat pack and snap and everything. So that's pretty cool. Sure. And I'm assuming they've got some sort of like web crawler that goes out there and gathers all this information and then puts it on this nice, easy interface for you to, to find. I know that they, I don't know how they get the, the information, but I would assume that that's what they can, they do. But at the same yeah. time, they, pro, they there's probably going to be some manual aspect to it because yeah. of like, it, depending on where you get the sources, like if you just get it from the, the stuff that App Image makes, then maybe not. But if you go from, uh, uh, the, like going like for a lot of projects will provide app images inside of their GitHub repository. And that would be something that you might have to do manually. So that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think that this is actually kind of interesting because I had the same idea to do this for a long time. But he procrastinated. No, 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 that's not, that's no, let me finish. Let me finish. I had the same idea to create an app store for Linux and like this just generic, not a generic, but a universal app store that anybody could go to and get in this stuff. Uh, but my, my idea also would be included maybe, for example, Debs and RPMs. And LinuxAppStore.io did say that they're planning to add those in the future. They haven't said when it's like how far along the roadmap that's going to be, but they are working on that. And that's pretty cool. And mm -hmm. the reason I brought it up is saying that I did it is because I don't have to do it now. And thank you very much for doing so. Well, you know, Michael's store will be out there sometime in 2026. So if you're interested <laughs> in knowing what app and snaps are out there, he's still working on it. I'm just going to contact the linuxappstore.io and like offer some contributions. That way I could say that I sort of did it somehow. Yeah, it was my right, idea yeah. originally and I helped him. <laughs> I'm sure I've got a bit of wax in my ear. Was that 3026 you said? Oh, yes, 3026. 30, yeah, we'll all be dead. I'm going to create some uh, some way to do artificial intelligence to keep myself, my consciousness active so I can fulfill that 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 uh, <laughs> statement. So that when aliens find it, they think all humans are basically late all the time and procrastinate. No, it'll be, it'll be artificial at that point, so it would be on time. <laughs> so the tip and trick of this week is that uh, you know, it's IOTOP. So you might you probably heard of top or HTOP to monitor your processes and your, the performance of your system, but there's also another tool called IOTOP, which allows you to monitor the IO the IO the current IO usage of your processes, whether it's like writing to disk or the you know the disk input, the right performance, that kind of thing. I think that the really cool thing about IOTOP is that it has this extra feature that's um, if you just run IOTOP, it just shows you everything that it has recently used your IO. But there's a feature called TAC-TAC only. So if you run that, it will only show you the performance of things that are currently using I.O. on your system, which yeah. is a lot more efficient to do so because, like, there's a ton. Depending on how long your computer's been on, there could be a ton of stuff in that list. Using that extra flag will make it a lot easier because, like, this is a pretty powerful thing because it, it makes it a lot. I mean, you can pay attention to, like, what your system might be using uh, too much of your drive and doing something wrong with like your performance. Like for example, I, to bring this back to a previous thing, steam is great, but there was a couple times where I had some IO issues where a game was trying to install a, a, a install some new update or whatever, but it never completed. Like it downloaded and tried to install it, but the install, like the thing that was trying to install was super small and it shouldn't take very long, but it was like 30 minutes later, I was still having this weird issue. So loading up IOTOP, I was like, Oh, a game is still trying to install for no reason. I'll go and check it out, and it just had it like it was hanging, it was hanging up in Steam cool. client. So this would able able to me to, to figure out like this is actually available and shows that like here's where your problem's happening, and you can go address it. So that's really mm -hmm. cool. And what's really interesting is as we were talking about this, I was trying this in the terminal and it wasn't there, so I installed it, and they've now actually 
had to make a change to IOTOP that it can only be now run with root privileges. And this was because of a security issue that they found where sensitive data across your user boundaries could leak out. So um, we talked about running IOTOP space hyphen or tack tack only. Uh, you now have to use sudo in front of that or set up your system so that it will automatically run IOTOP with pseudo privileges. So yet again, the Linux industry proves they find a fault, wham, there's a fix out there almost immediately. It's fantastic. Nice. All right, so a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux, however you do it. And we love our patrons and coffee supporters out there. We just want to give a special shout out to you for all of your continued love and support. We do a live show for our patrons, so come join us if you want to, and you can be a part of the show. You can join for just $1, and that's darn near free. That's right. We're also on coffee, so you can support the show that way, whether you want to buy a cup of coffee for the patrons or you want to become a patron of coffee. Either way, you can uh, you can feel free to intermingle those terms that don't have anything to do with one another. Coffee offers a nice monthly option that will allow you to have the same perks as Patreon, and you can even be called a patron, apparently, even if you're not on Patreon. There's be a link to the show notes and into our website for coffee. The perks include things like access to the live shows as well as unedited versions of the show, so you can see our most real selves and all of the mistakes we make as well as our most sincere gratitude. By the way, before you go, Zeb, did you know that um, Noah, that they put a, somebody took a sound clip of you going on the rant about patron and Kofi, and now it's just a sound clip by itself. And it really? was one of the most enjoyable listens. It's in our Telegram group. You got to go find it. I will. I'm going to go find brilliant. it. Brilliant. It's just your portion ranting about Patron and Kofi. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fun. So it's stuff like that that makes your interaction with us really, really enjoyable. So please get back to us. Let us know what you think. Ask those burning questions. Tell us about your journey that you've had within Linux send those emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. Or as Ryan just mentioned, you can pop a little comment into our Telegram group, our Discord, Twitter, Mastodon, and many other ways that Michael has made available for you at destinationlinux.org forward slash contact. So keep them comments coming and those questions. We love to read about them. And who knows, you may even get into the show. So if you want more content, take four... <laughs> The fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels that you can check out. <laughs> for for example, Ryan, you can go. I'm keeping it. I don't care. Take five, whatever. Uh, you can check out youtube.com slash dosgeek to get Ryan's content where he does uh, hardware reviews, uh, Linux tech, Linux and tech videos, all kinds of great stuff. You can check out Zeb at youtube.com slash Boss where he uh, does live streams for U-Truck Euro Truck Simulator and other games. Uh, you can check out my content at tuxdigital.com where you can see that the This Week in Linux podcast is a really in-depth news podcast, uh, too deep in some some people might say. Uh, and you get tuxdigital.com slash This Week in Linux for that. You could also check out Noah content at asknoahshow.com where he takes Linux and text questions on his uh, call-in show that it happens uh, weekly every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central at asknoahshow.com and uh, also be sure to like that smash button and share the show on social media. What about Zeb and the caravans? Did you cover that specifically? I was going to get interrupted by Noah again so I decided well, to just no, keep I, that I out. I didn't say a thing about the Freudian revenge. I, I was very quiet so that you could get to that but then you skipped over it. I feel like you need to go back and do Zeb's session again but talk obviously about he the had a that way obviously he had a childhood nightmare. <laughs> <laughs>
He's still right, writing. Everybody. He's still. Oh, if I'm gonna do it again, that's fine. But it's. I'm gonna. It's. I'm not editing the next one. Okay. All right, everybody, have a great <laughs> week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, and if you want more content, the fun doesn't stop here. You can check out our own channels where you can go. You can check out the uh, Ryan's channel by going to youtube.com slash dosgeek, where you can find, mm. r write what Ryan does here to remind you. Uh, Zeb. <laughs> <laughs> Who put that in the document? Who put that I read that on purpose because it was he put it in last week, and I and I was like, the, you could see like the last part of that last section. You could see I'm trying not to laugh because I'm trying to set – like, I'm like, okay, this is going to make yeah, me laugh before mine. I do it. <laughs> Everybody there just has Zeb. Remind him what he can do. No, remind what he does. I just, I was going to, I was going to try to go through the whole thing without breaking up, but I couldn't. Anyway, uh, so let's start over that part. If you want more content, the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels. You can go to uh, check out Ryan's stuff at, on YouTube by going to youtube.com slash dosgeek, where he does videos about uh, tech reviews, hardware reviews, all kinds of stuff. And you can check out Zeb on youtube.com slash zebityboss, where he does uh, live streams for like Euro Truck Simulator, where he destroys caravans. Apparently, he doesn't have a problem with them, but uh, we, we, you kind of look at the stream and go, you might not disagree too, with too, that too part. Too deep. Too deep. Anyway, uh, what? <laughs> What, what is too deep? deep? What's You're too deep? Too deep. It's just check him out on YouTube.com. And you it was to totally it. fine until you said too you deep. Did not, you did no, dude, you, it was totally fine. No, you ruined it. You ruined it. Like, should he be doing this? Should he be smashing trucks? I mean, what what are the environments around? We made a joke earlier about him not liking caravans. He said that he likes caravans. He only does it in the thing. You're not paying attention. I can't believe I do this show with two rookies. I'm just saying. It's You're not paying attention. You're right. I, thank you. I, I appreciate you pointing out that he doesn't actually want to destroy trucks. You're right. You should point that out. He said this. Earlier, okay, right. you don't yeah. pay attention. You have your ADD thing, and it's okay. We still love you, but you have your problems. Anyway, if you want some more content from us, the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels that you can check out, and that we didn't, and we didn't mess up multiple times. And what? I just so messed up. What? <laughs> What? What? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't the least important it. part of the whole. You're show. arguing that you don't have a channel. <laughs> okay. So if you want more content, take four. The fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels that you can check out. <laughs>